This is Unfilter, episode 160 for October 5th, 2015. Today, the stakes shot up in the worst war in the world. Russia joined the fighting in Syria. Now Russian and American planes are on opposite sides. Let us remind you how we got here. Syria is run by the dictator Bashar al-Assad. Four years ago, rebels rose up against him. Now a quarter million have died. Twelve million have fled. The chaos has spawned the refugee crisis in Europe and the ISIS terrorist regime, which now holds a third of Syria and Iraq. The U.S. is bombing ISIS. David Martin tells us who Russia is fighting for. Welcome to Unfilter 160 of Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show that's distracting you from all of that TV. You shouldn't be watching. I'm here being kept honest by the chat room on the date and on the show name. Thank you, chat room over jblive.tv on a Monday. Recording on a special Monday edition because I have been on the road for a couple of weeks. I came from Montana straight to Washington. Well, first for my kids, but second for you guys. I wanted to make sure to be here in studio with all my gear, all my clips for a huge episode of the Unfiltered Show. There's some big stuff we're getting to this week, and it required all of my resources. So thank you to all the folks who could join us over jblive.tv on a special Monday edition. How, when's the last time we had a Monday show? It's been a long time. And there is some things to get into, specifically that broke today as we're going on the air. And while it's breaking news, and it seems like a huge story, I think it marks just the beginning of the Unfilter Show's coverage. And well, the big news this hour, the world's biggest trade deal has been agreed. Twelve countries of the Pacific Rim region have reached an agreement on the Trans-Pacific Partnership, or TPP as it's called. In effect, it's a free trade deal that's expected to cover 400 million people and 40% of the global economy. Let's get more... Pers- uh, the, the, the portion that doesn't include China, mostly, right? And that's a key part of this, is it's sort of a response to China. Perspective, put a bit more uh, meat on the bones of this, and got a New York artist, Igor Piskanov's there. Igor, hi there. Uh, it's been, as I said, uh, pretty secretive, to say the least, the build-up to this, so now everybody wants to know, well, what actually has been agreed here? Uh, it's been central to President Obama's economic agenda, isn't it? Well, this Trans-Pacific Partnership, frankly, is pretty huge. We're looking at these 12 countries, the United States, Mexico, Canada, Chile, pretty much the countries that go along the uh, uh, Pacific coast of the Americas. Then you've also got the uh, Australia, New Zealand, Japan, and others. And together, they make up about uh, 40% of the global economy, 400 million people, and so on. And it's aimed at uh, dropping barriers, easing trade between these two countries. But the thing is, negotiations have been going on for about five years on this, and we don't really know a lot about them. Not very much details still have been don't. coming out of them. And so they can't really be called transparent. That's why many have been raising the question, is this uh, partnership an actual step forward towards uh, free trade across the world, or are its goals a bit different, perhaps to counter something, something with a name like China? Now, I'll stop there. And also, it normalizes a lot of things, uh, things that we'll get into more, I hope, as those details come out. Normalizes things like environmental laws and the way uh, companies 
uh, can respond to those things. Also, it normalizes things like drug laws, uh, you know, for uh, drug manufacturers, things like that. Now, we want to get into some cyber. It's not our main focus today, but you know, cyber is a big topic. Got to talk about cyber. No, I'm not talking about that dirty stuff. I'm talking about what the old people call stuff that happens online now. And this story is huge. I'm going to have it linked up in the show notes. Really good write up from the Intercept, which we haven't, I mean, been talking about a lot recently. But the Intercept has something called Karma Police, and it is a massive UK spy agency tool that is literally designed to figure out everything that everyone does online, period, full stop. Things like your IP address, your the URL you visit, the cookie, all of that is considered metadata from anyone and totally okay for them to collect. British intelligence has been running a secret mass surveillance program that tracks people's internet browsing around the world. It's submerged from new documents leaked by whistleblower Edward Snowden. The program's codenamed Karma Police, and it analyzes web users' online habits by tracking which websites they visit. It also uh, logs which radio stations they listen to, and it traces them on social media and their search history. Then it puts all this data together and cross-checks it to build a web profile of individuals and to identify suspicious activities. But Loz Cave from the Open Intelligence Think Tank believes it's not making any of us any safer. The new allegations are quite staggering in their scope. For example, we're talking about the scooping up of some 30 billion um, uh, data events per day in 2010, rising to 50 billion in 2012. This is quite extraordinary. But what's really concerning about this is the overreach and the lack of proportionality in this. Do my tastes in radio, um, knowing about those, make us any safer? No, of course they don't. and in fact, uh, the, the taste in radio thing is particularly interesting in the Intercept article. They talk about how the GCHQ did a theory test where they found – they listened – they narrowed down someone who listens to a uh, jihadi-favored online radio stream. And then they just narrowed him down and down and down and got where he lives at and everything like that. They started with what radio stream does he listen to? And I thought that was particularly scary. Grew up throughout the entire period that these latest documents, a detail, it just shows that the blanket surveillance approach that and the, the mass surveillance is not making us safer. It's it's again making the making more haystacks to put on top of the needle. The surveillance operation was launched without public debate or parliamentary approval. In fact, just last week, the lack of accountability was among the very things discussed during a video conference in New York with whistleblower Edward Snowden. He says such mass data collection violates people's rights. Why are programs being billed as public safety programs when they have no corresponding public safety benefit? And the unfortunate reality is that while these programs do have value, you know, the government's not doing this for absolutely no reason, The value that they have is based on intelligence collection. It's based on adversarial competition between states uh, that's happening secretly. It's happening without any form of robust oversight. It's happening without the involvement of real open courts with an adversarial process. And increasingly, we're seeing that even if these programs are instituted with the best of intentions, inevitably, they come back to impact us here at home. Mm -hmm. The same programs that the National Security Agency and Central Intelligence Agency collaborated on uh, in areas like Yemen are now being used by the United States Marshal Service in the United States against common criminals, people who do not represent any real threat to public safety uh, in a manner that would justify in any way the intrusion into and the violation of millions and millions of citizens' rights. So his core point is... 
stuff developed for military outside the U.S. has come back. Same with, same with the U.K., which I think is uh, probably a point well taken. Now, this next story to me seems like Fox News is reaching. Not a very likely chance this, could go, this is going to go anywhere, but I don't want you to think your unfiltered show isn't following this story. More trouble from Russia. Fox News learning Russian hackers may have tried to penetrate Hillary Clinton's private email account. Four years ago, she received via email five phony traffic tickets, apparently a phishing scam trying to get her to click on links that would open up malware. We do not know whether she fell for it, but sources tell Fox. So literally, they're saying that she got phishing, she got phishing spam in her email inbox, and they're reporting on it. That's literally what they're doing there. <laughs> Something tells me she probably didn't click on it from her BlackBerry. All right, so let's move on. I actually want to talk about this uh, ISIS intelligence report, which is going to be sort of the groundwork we're going to lay for the main topic today. And you remember, we've been following this, that the ISIS reports and intelligence have been altered as it goes up the chain of command to the White House. We have some brand new details on the bombshell claim that ISIS intelligence reports were being altered using measures like airstrikes and damage assessments to paint a more positive picture of the campaign that the coalition forces have against ISIS. Chief Intelligence Correspondent Catherine Herridge live on this in Washington. So, Catherine, what have you learned on this now? Well, thank you, Martha. Good morning. This activity-based approach using airstrikes and body counts, a metric that hasn't been used since Vietnam, does not represent a comprehensive assessment. For example, in this case... Did you catch that meme there? Did you catch that? That's going to come back. You know that's going to come back. That's going to be a point I believe if they can get some traction with, they'll repeat. What have you learned on this now? Well, thank you, Martha. Good morning. This activity-based approach using airstrikes and body counts, a metric that hasn't been used since Vietnam, does not represent a comprehensive assessment. For example, in this case, despite the year-long campaign to target oil refineries, the terror group has built temporary facilities and maintained the ability to raise money. Fox has also learned that at least two emails were sent to a small core group of analysts implying that they should, quote, toe the line and knock it off. These emails <laughs> were also told were provided to the inspector general, the independent body within the Department of Defense that's investigating the case, though a spokeswoman has not commented on specifics of the investigation, Martha. So is there evidence mm -hmm. that there's been pressure from mm -hmm. Washington in this regard? Well, two sources with knowledge of the unfolding investigation tell Fox News that this is not a problem that begins and ends with CENTCOM, the military command that oversees the ISIS campaign. But I, It ain't our fault. It's not happening here. I mean, this is not really our fault. I mean, we're being told to do this, but it's not our fault. Rather, the evidence indicates pressure from Washington. What we've seen so far raises real questions, uh, not only about uh, politicized intelligence at the level of the central command, um, but pressure that they may well have received from the top, uh, from senior officials, um, political officials, uh, not direct, um, but enough that it would taint the analysis. In addition, Fox News has been told that, that the investigation may well include uh, assessments that were uh, dis discarded, if you will, uh, about Afghanistan and these date back to 2012, Martha. Hmm. Wow. So that's kind of interesting. So in the context of where we're about to go, you have uh, you have obviously uh, bad, bad – we have bad intelligence. Even when we supposedly have the most amazing intelligence apparatus in the world monitoring everything, we still alter the reports. So even though we spend all this money on the NSA and the CIA to do all this intelligence, to do all the satellite observations, we still just alter it anyways once we get it. 
we also, when we try to arm people, fail at that. We've heard the stories about how few, how few rebels the Pentagon has trained. Now, we know the CIA has had much more success there. But we also seem to constantly fail when we go to arm our supposed allies. New questions arising over U.S. military aid to our allies fighting ISIS. Reports that special MRAPs or mine-resistant ambush-protected vehicles were delivered missing heavy armor. Our chief intelligence correspondent, Captain Harris, is live in Washington with more on what this story is about. Catherine? Well, thank you, Jenna. This is what American help looks like for the Kurds. These photos reviewed by Fox News show 30 MRAPs that arrived with no armor side panels last month. And while still effective mm. against landmines and improvised explosive devices, compare these images with what a fully equipped MRAP is supposed to look like, and the difference is plain to see. The large armor plates were added to the original design when U.S. commanders realized the vehicles were easy targets for rocket-propelled grenades. So we're, selling, we're sending them our unarmed uh, trucks. So our, our allies get in our unarmed trucks. Our intelligence gets altered. And, and yet somehow we feel like we should be an authority on what goes on in the Middle East. We feel like we should be an authority on the situation in Syria. And as you remember from last week's episode, there was going to be a big meeting between Obama and Putin just about the situation in Syria. So we knew this was coming to a head. Good evening. It may have been a warm day in New York City, but there was a winter-like chill in the room at the United Nations when <laughs> President Obama and Russia's Vladimir Putin came face to face. I miss Brywai. With relations between the two governments at a low point, the two leaders sat down late today for their first formal meeting in a very long time. But not before airing out their differences in speeches before the U.N. General Assembly, where Putin managed to seize the agenda and the headlines. Here's NBC News chief foreign affairs correspondent Andrea Mitchell. And that agenda and headlines was that they were going to take action in Syria. Vladimir Putin and Barack Obama in their first formal one-on-one -on -one meeting in two years. But only after trading insults today over Syria. Can you work together? Can Putin swaggered into the U.N. Huh. after a diplomatic, military and PR blitz to seize the initiative from the U.S. that left the White House scrambling. Obama wants Syrian President Assad out. That's right. But Putin said without Assad, ISIS would take over, insisting it's an enormous mistake to refuse to cooperate with the Syrian government and its armed forces who are valiantly fighting terrorism face to face. Obama scornfully rejects that argument. In accordance with this logic, we should support Tyrants like Bashar al-Assad. Now, uh, I'm not an Assad supporter, but you can Google it yourself. Uh, in June, Assad was re-elected by his people, a democratic process. Now, perhaps influence, perhaps not. Perhaps his people were motivated because they're under attack by a foreign nation. However, why we determine who is a violent dictator or not, I don't, that, you can set that aside. That, why we do that, how we do that, set that aside. Let's talk about what happens when we take that action. What happens every time we take that action? Have you looked into that? What's been the result? What was the result in Libya? Let's just go back to the lifetime of this show. What was the result in Libya when we took out their evil regime? When we went and got Gaddafi, what was the result? Who drops barrel bombs to massacre innocent children. Oh. And were those barrel bombs, he says, he says that Assad drops barrel bombs. Now, wasn't it proven two weeks after those barrel bombs were dropped that it actually wasn't leaked to Assad at all? Or al Assad who drops barrel bombs to massacre innocent children. Now, wasn't that, wasn't that debunked? That was debunked. Now, really, that's pretty low. I mean, something, something that, 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 that quickly debunked being quoted by the president. To massacre innocent children. Obama and Putin's icy relationship is being called a new Cold War, not just over Syria, but Ukraine. 
Obama slapped sanctions on Putin's cronies for supporting separatists there. Obama, so we go after them for supporting separatists. Now, the people of Crimea voted to supersede. They voted that. They made that vote. Now, did, did, Russia, did Russia influence the vote? Probably. But did we, did we influence the rebels? I'm driving off laughing. This is what I'll say. <laughs> Probably. So we both did that, both sides. Today, Putin arrived 20 Are minutes late for the UN lunch, sitting so close to Obama they had to shake hands and couldn't avoid the toast. This is not Reagan and Gorbachev or Clinton and Yeltsin. But this is not the Vlad and Barack show. No, it is not. And the fact of the matter is, it's a very business-like relationship. Uh, they've spoken on the phone uh, over the course of la- those last few years, and they're very blunt and direct with one another. Putin watchers say he sees every rivalry as a sports match, a contest he must win. Putin always shows himself as a macho man. He's a strong man. He sees weakness and he seizes on it. In the U.S. policy on Syria, he sees weakness. Just a handful of rebels trained at huge cost, and ISIS ranks growing. And when asked on 60 Minutes whether he thinks Obama considers him an equal... Well, you ask him. He's your president. How could I know what he thinks? There are consequences to their bad relationship. The Syrian war and the refugees fleeing from it is the biggest humanitarian disaster since World War II. And it's dragged on this long because Russia and the United States cannot agree on how to end it. How to end this, she's about to say. Now, how to end it. We can't agree on how to end it. Well, the U.S., the U.S. very much knows how they want to end it. They very much, they very much know how they want to end it. I'll get to that, though. So let's talk about what's happened uh, since last week's episode. Russia has joined the fight. Now, Russia had, like, this legal authority process they went to, like, where, like, people voted on it and then authorized Putin to do the strike. It's, it's weird. It's new. But they do this thing, and now they're dropping bombs in Syria. Breaking news of the sour, the Russian defense ministry has confirmed that Russian fighter planes have conducted their first airstrikes against ISIL positions in Syria. And it's after the Russian president was given the go-ahead by Russian lawmakers. The only way to combat terrorism in Syria and in neighboring countries is to act preventatively, to destroy the terrorists on the territories that they've already captured. Soviet countries are already fighting alongside Islamic State. If they succeed in Syria, they'll inevitably return to their home countries, including Russia. Russia has always supported and still supports the fight against terrorism. But we are sure that this fight should be conducted according to international law. So they're going in there striking some military bases, some training camps, they say. Uh, And uh, there is a bit of a reaction, you might say. This is a Fox News alert. Russian President Vladimir Putin in a stunning development, surprising the president of the United States and the U.S. military. Surprising. They, the, the narrative is one hour notification, one hour notification in our Baghdad office. Now, is that likely since they just met? I just played the clip where they met and discussed the situation in Syria. And is that very likely since lawmakers approved the bill? You don't think we have eyes on that process? You don't think we maybe monitor the internal politics and law passing process of Russia? You don't think we don't watch that? A surprise, my ass. By launching airstrikes in Syria. It all started early this morning when a Russian three-star general barged into the U.S. embassy in Baghdad and warned the United States to stay out of the way and clear the skies. 
Russia is claiming it is targeting ISIS, but the Pentagon is not buying that. So this whole narrative is they're being so indiscriminate we didn't even get enough warning. So that's piece of propaganda part A. Right off the beginning, propagate. They didn't get enough warning. They just did it indiscriminately. Part two, the Pentagon says, well, we can't verify their attacks. We have no evidence of that they're actually getting ISIS targets. These don't appear to be legitimate attacks. Well, that's a pretty easy argument. If your argument is we don't have the evidence, that's a punt. You are punting the answer. It's claiming it is targeting ISIS, but the Pentagon is not buying that. The United States saying Russia may be targeting Syrian opposition fighters and not ISIS. Now, those Syrian opposition fighters are the ones trying to kick Syria's dictator Assad out of power. Now, so the so okay, so Putin is backing the uh, the uh, Putin is attacking the rebels that are uh, fighting ISIS, the, the moderates, supposedly, and uh, the ones that are trying to get Assad out of power. So if you're not amped up yet enough, Greta's got a piece here to really get you flowing to realize this is serious. <laughs> Russia has outgamed us once again. The Pentagon was caught off guard. The United States and the coalition will continue our ongoing air operations as we have from the very beginning. Today, we see Vladimir Putin attacking with his airplanes. That approach is tantamount to pouring gasoline on the fire. It's doomed to failure. He's bidding for dominance in the Middle East against the United States. It is imperative uh, to find a solution to this conflict and to avoid escalating it in any way. He wants to wipe out all of the opposition to Assad except Islamic State. You don't let the Russians tell us that we can't fly over Syria. It is imperative for the president to push back on this. We fly anywhere we want to, and you'd better stay out of the way. That's the message that should be sent to Vladimir Putin. So there you go. So you, you get a sense of how the Western media is handling Russia's involvement over there. And there's some strong reactions. If you've been following the Syrian conflict from the very beginning, you have every reason to be baffled right now. First of all, because you have statements like these. Assad needs to go. It is just further evidence that Assad 2013. has to go. Assad cannot be a credible partner for us. It is time for him to go followed by a statement like this. For years we've been saying, uh, you've been saying Assad should go. Now you're saying yeah, that no, he's going to choose the, the argument, successor? You know, we have not been saying it for years. We've said for the last year that he has to transition out over a period of time. And he would not be the... So let's stop there. Uh, so obviously this has been a position the United States has held for a very long time. Uh, Russia is in there taking care of the actual ISIS situation. We have been focused on getting Assad out. And Assad obviously is going to get benefited by these people being bombed. I mean, think about this dynamic here. The U.S. media, I'm going to play this clip for you. The U.S. media is actually completely being honest with you and at the same time completely deceiving this you. This morning, the U.S. Defense Secretary accused Russia of escalating Syria's civil war. Holly Williams is in Istanbul, Turkey, where a Russian jet along the Syrian border this morning caused some panic. Holly, good morning. Good morning. The government here in Turkey says a Russian warplane operating out of Syria violated Turkish airspace, prompting it to scramble F-16 fighter jets. That news comes as Russia continues its airstrikes in Syria. The Russian Defense Ministry released this cockpit video, which it claims shows its fighter jets hitting ISIS positions in Syria. Claims? Including a command center, a training camp and an ammunition depot. 
But many of the locations that Russia says it hit are in areas where there is no ISIS presence. The US and its coalition partners say what Russia is really doing in Syria is propping up the Syrian regime by launching strikes on those who oppose the government. The Syrian president, Bashar al-Assad, makes no distinction between the moderate opposition and ISIS. Because there is none. There is none. They are paid rebels. The moderates are paid rebels. They go whoever pays them the most. That's who they, that's who they fight for. There is no difference. They only are getting paid more by the CIA and the, and the U.S.-led back fo- co- coalitions. That's who's paying them more now, so that's who they're doing the fighting for. Once they stop getting paid, they are just <laughs> going to get paid by somebody else to do terrorist activities. It's really obvious. Describing all of them as terrorists. In his first interview since Moscow began launching airstrikes, the Syrian dictator said the Russian campaign has to succeed or else the entire region faces destruction. But the US says that peace in Syria can only be achieved if Assad leaves office. The four-year-long Syrian civil war has now claimed more than a quarter of a million lives, many of them killed by the regime's indiscriminate bombing there it of is again. civilian areas. Indiscriminate bombing again. So let's stop here, all right? So that's there's, so there's, there, uh, there's that take. Now, obviously, uh, if our goal is not to stop ISIS but it's regime change, then what's the real problem here? What's the real issue? Well, uh, I want to make one more point before I answer that question, and we'll start with we Mike Morell, our good friend. We'll bring in Michael Morell, former number two at the CIA and, and did run senior it for a while. security contributor for CBS News. Michael, how significant is this? Scott, um, this is of historical significance. This is the first time the Russians have conducted combat operations in the Middle East since the end of World War II. What do you think the Russian President Vladimir Putin is up to? So there's lots of reasons here, Scott, but Hmm. I think they boil down to two. All right. So we got two reasons from a guy who was in the CAA for his entire career, somebody who actually ran it for a little while. He's got two reasons. Um, The first is that he is trying to prop up Assad. Um, Assad is weaker today than he has been since the fall of 2012, and Putin's trying to prop him up. I don't doubt that. I'm sure that is actually one of Putin's objectives, right? Because Putin probably has a logic to it. Why? Because Putin really fears that if Assad were to depart the scene, that there'd be even more instability in Syria, that ISIS could grow even more, perhaps even take over Damascus. He really believes that. The second reason, Scott... Is- now, the second reason, uh, it just didn't really hold up to me. Is that Russia in general, Putin in particular, want to be seen as major players on the global stage, and this this gives that to Putin as well. Now, that's definitely a possibility, but that doesn't seem like that'd be in his top two. Has the Obama administration been outmaneuvered by Russia? You know, I think the, the, the real problem here, Scott, is that what Putin has done on the ground in Syria has now made it more difficult to get to the only solution to the problem. And the only solution to the problem is, is? a negotiated transfer of power oh, from Assad oh, oh, to oh, something else. Right. That's been our strategy all along. He's messing up our plans! So he is undercutting our strategy. He's pissed. The CIA has been working hard, CIA. And here's actually why they're really upset. You want to know why they're really upset? This indiscriminate bombing thing that's going around? It's legit, in a sense. Putin is bombing civilian areas that aren't controlled by ISIS. I'll explain why. 
Now to the situation in Syria. Apparently the whole deconfliction thing is not taking right away. Despite assurances from President Obama's top diplomat promising dialogue about Russian forces bombing Syria, it appears Vladimir Putin is continuing to brazenly go after brazenly. Syrian rebels Woo! with no concern about American repercussions. Now, uh, I'm sorry, American repercussions. Putin, okay, let's break this, what Brett just said. Brett just said he's going after Syrian rebels with no consideration of the American repercussions. I'm going to just back that up a second. No concern about American repercussions. Now, why would Putin be worried about American repercussions when he's bombing Syrian rebels? I'm going to play that again, and let's just think about that. Forces bombing Syria. It appears Vladimir Putin is continuing to brazenly go after Syrian rebels. Syrian rebels. With no concern about American repercussions. With no concern about American Repercussions. Yeah, deconflictation is deconflictation is what is the term they're using. Now, why would we why would we be using terms like American repercussions when targeting Syrian rebels? Let's think about that. With Fox team coverage tonight, Kevin Corks at the White House with the increasing sense of paralyzation and possibly humiliation that many are projecting upon President Obama. But we begin with correspondent Doug McElway and the latest on the Russian attacks. It's not actually Scott. Or, um, uh, Brett here didn't make up deconflication, actually. The Russians did. It's their term. A day after the United States was surprised by Russian air attacks against Syrian Surprise! rebels, confusion reigned over the scope of President Putin's latest gamble. Russia says its planes conducted more than 20 sorties and hit four ISIS targets overnight. But the Pentagon reported an entirely different result. All right. So now a couple of things have already happened in this clip. Putin's plan, even though it was approved by lawmakers, you could say Putin pretty much has pretty much direct control over all of them. But it was approved by their legal process, more so than what Obama has authorization right now. We don't call these Obamas. We don't call the war in Syria Obama's plans, though. But OK, whatever. Uh, so the Pentagon has been asked about the areas that Putin is targeting, Putin himself personally targeting. Saying there's no evidence Russian planes hit any ISIS targets. No evidence that Russian planes hit any ISIS targets. Now, what they really mean when they say ISIS targets is there's no evidence that the Russians hit any ISIS-controlled territory. That's a, that, there's a reason why that's a key difference. A key difference. They're not uh, striking targets in areas that are controlled by ISIL. They're not striking. You know, they're not. They're probably not controlled by ISIL. And that in and of itself is a, is a concern for us. Sure. And we've noted that concern. Reports from inside Syria suggest civilians were hit in some of the Russian attacks. Putin today denied it. I would like to direct your attention to the fact that first information that there were casualties among civilians were published before our planes took off. Yeah, that's true. In fact, uh, the, the, the reports of... Uh, casualties of children were, were reported actually the picture was taken five days before their planes took off but i actually think they did strike civilians and i think they did strike areas not controlled by isis because it's obvious because cia contractors are legally classified as a civilian if you're over there under contract by the cia under legal classification you're a civilian and if you're controlling the area, it's civilians controlling the area. It's CIA-trained rebels and CIA-paid contractors that are over in that area that are actually legally classified as civilians. But Putin knows that they're U.S.-backed rebels that are up to crap, and that's why they're bombing them, and they're bombing, they're bombing everybody. They're, if they've got a gun and they're shooting people, they're getting bombed, 
right? And of course Putin probably knows that they're U.S.-backed, and that's why the U.S. is pissed, because our CIA guys are getting killed. Russian planes reportedly also targeted the Nusra Front, an al-Qaeda-aligned rebel group, as well as a camp of U.S.-backed rebels. Asked whether the... Uh, what? I'm sorry, a camp of what on Fox News? Was that a camp of what? ...aligned rebel group, as well as a camp of U.S.-backed rebels. Oh! Asked whether the U.S. would protect U.S.-backed rebels. Will the U.S. protect U.S.-backed rebels? So we literally have Putin bombing U.S. It's a, it's a, ladies and gentlemen, a proxy war. rebel group, as well as a camp of U.S.-backed rebels. Asked whether the U.S. would protect U.S.-backed rebels from Russian attacks, the Pentagon spokesman today was repeatedly evasive. You're, you're talking about a hypothetical situation. Again, hypothetical situations. I think you should take our answers right now as not wanting to venture into hypothetical situations. Man, what a bad gig, right? You get sent out there by the CIA as a contractor to train these guys or to actually pick up a gun and fight yourself, and now your camp are getting bombed by Russians, and the U.S. is like, oh, um, yeah, that's a hypothetical. We're not going to answer what we're going to do in that situation. Hopefully they don't get bombed again. Man, that is a bad gig. You got screwed. Think about that. Think about, think about, think about the position those contractors are in right now, completely out there on the line, now getting attacked by a massively superior force, the Russian Air Force. They're down there on the ground trying to train these rebels. Unbelievable. But in March, Secretary of Defense Ash Carter indicated the U.S. had a duty to protect U.S.-backed rebels. We will have some obligation to uh, support them after they're trained. Further adding to the U.S.'s dilemma, new Iranian ground troops have now arrived in Syria, apparently to supplement Russian air attacks. Uh Their arrival comes two months after Iranian Quds Force Commander General Qasem Soleimani violated a U.N. travel ban to Moscow and sealed a secret joint Syria military plan with Putin. The Russian buildup of forces in Syria began just days after Soleimani's visit. The Iranian Quds Force now operates not just in Syria, but in Iraq, Yemen, and Lebanon. Critics say in the absence of U.S. leadership, Iran and Russia are conspiring to become the dominant players across the volatile Middle East. I don't know how you can really say lack of U.S. leadership since we have troops and drones in all of those areas and contractors. Vladimir Putin is exploiting the fact that the president of the United States and the American leadership is not going to acknowledge malevolent intentions. Putin's chief of staff today denied Russia has any intentions beyond Syria. We are talking about Syria specifically, and we are not talking about the pursuit of some political goals or ambitions. But today, Iraqi Prime Minister Abadi said he would welcome Russian airstrikes against ISIS in his country. (laughs) Further evidence that Russia is filling the void once occupied by the United States. Brett? Doug McKillway, live at the Pentagon. No, the problem is the U.S. has been doing crap against ISIS because they're our guys. We, several weeks ago, I have links in the show notes that go through in a lot of detail about the funding of ISIS from the CIA. And it's, it's... all laid out and where that money has been going into equipment, into vehicles, into guns, the, the, the transfer through Libya, all of it is there. Saudi Arabia backing them, Saudi Arabia buying the oil from ISIS, us not putting sanctions on them, all of that's there. The Unfiltered Show digs into these kinds of things and makes a people's history every single week and it desperately needs your help. We're at 406 patrons, a massive backslide, a lot of it probably due to the Patreon hack, which users who are patrons really are, for the most part, quite safe. They're using good bcrypt encryption. You can change your password at patreon.com as a precaution. Patreon.com slash unfilter. This show is is listener-supported, and right now that support has begun to wane. And really a key part in order to do this show and to keep me able to do this show is having a producer. 
And we're now getting close to the baseline where that's even a hard line for us. We, we would love to see this get up to 420 patrons. But right now, let's set, a, let's set a goal for episode 161. Let's see if we can get that to 413. Lucky, lucky 13. Uh, I don't know if perhaps maybe I'm also being punished for going on the roadshow and, and delaying the show. I hope that's not the case. But if you have enjoyed this show or found the information we covered at least thought-provoking and it made you reconsider things or found it intellectually stimulating, any of that – I'm not saying anything beyond that. I'm just asking for you to keep us going, and we need your help very badly over at unfilter or patreon.com slash unfilter. And uh, there is a couple of different levels you can jump in at. And if you just get the supporter show, that's totally understandable. You get access to all the previous supporter shows as well. And in this week, I kind of went through the process I use to select clips, and I'm going to try to keep updating that as I sort of think on it some more, but I went through the process I used to select which clips go into the show. We played some interesting pre-show clips. You get more show. You get a lot more show when you become a supporter. And if you, start, if you sign up for a little bit more, you get access to all of the clips. And like the uh, category we just played from, there's so many more clips in the supporter sync, so much more context, and you actually get the source code to our show. You can see our notes. You can see the way we've titled the clips. You can see the artwork, the intros, assets, all of it. Just by becoming a supporter. And then you are helping to do a distributed backup of the people show. We also put the supporter show in that sync. You just have that one sync and you get everything. There's, there's separate syncs for just the show. There's an RSS feed as well and it's direct downloads. And we also post a video for the patrons. Patreon.com slash unfilter. We could really use your support. I want to keep this show going because I think it's important. But sometimes I think the value of this show isn't obvious until we're well down in the road. And if you've been a listener for a long time and considering supporting us, we could use you now. Patreon.com slash unfilter. And thanks to those of you who are supporters over there. I hope you enjoy this week's supporter show. Now, I want to transition. We did talk a little bit about the UN. And this clip of Netanyahu really struck me as a hell of a way to present. Netanyahu, when he goes to speak in front of the UN, tends to use a little bit of theatrics. Some of you may recall the, the cartoon-style bomb he drew for uh, the uh, Iran nuke deal, I believe it was. And now... He's at the U.N. and he gives a really long, silent glare at the U.N. people, like at the people sitting from the different nations at the U.N. I'm not – this is not an altered clip at all. I'm just going to let it play. It's, it's kind of amazing. Iran's rulers promised to destroy my country, murder my people, and the response from this body – the response from nearly every one of the governments represented here has been absolutely nothing. Utter silence. Deafening silence. Perhaps you can understand 
why Israel is not joining you in celebrating this deal. That marks the longest silence in any show on Jupiter Broadcasting's broadcast history. That's so uncomfortable for me. Dead air is not my thing, but wow, that was a stare. And it makes you wonder how serious, what kind of reaction they might take, because that's a pretty serious deal. And uh, I think uh, I, I think Israel probably feels that they've been backed into a corner now. Now, I'm really excited because uh, I haven't got a chance to see the new movie, The Martian, yet. But I did read the book. Well, I listened to the audiobook, and I loved it. And so I have got Mars on the brain. And I'm betting you guys probably heard about the news. Now, the prospects of finding life on Mars are now closer than ever after NASA announced the discovery of liquid water on the surface of the red planet. Scientists say salty water flows through slopes during the summer period. Now, it's not exactly enough to swim in, but it will certainly be something to investigate during the first manned mission to the planet. That won't happen for at least another 12 years. The privately run Mars One project is planning to beat NASA to it. We spoke with Ryan McDonald, who's among those preparing for a one-way trip. Today's announcement that we've seen running water on Mars is a huge breakthrough. But what this discovery means is that it increases the chance of life being around on Mars today. So in my mind, it really increases the urgency of why we need to send humans to Mars, send human scientists to Mars, in order to try and definitively tackle this question of whether there is life on Mars today. Now, that would be a heck of a road trip if you uh, try to go over there. Wow, that would be a one-way trip. For sure. But uh, I say I might be up for it after that last road trip. That's what it kind of felt like driving through Montana a little bit was like uh, traveling from Mars. Uh, I also want to mention the subreddit unfilter.reddit.com. Specifically this week, I'd like to put a call out for any stories and details we can get about the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the TPP. Uh, it's already been uh, submitted that this been and, – and there's been some comments too by Cyphertooth in our unfiltered subreddit, unfiltered.reddit.com. Go there to submit stories, anything you'd like to see in the show. Also, we're still collecting the most important unfiltered clips. We have that running for probably a little bit longer. And did you see the story about Snowden saying he's willing to return to the U.S. and face prison? But he still can't get a, he can't get a deal. Can't, they just won't give him a deal. That story was linked in the subreddit by Brandon one Thanks, you guys. Thanks, you guys, for submitting that. Obama also returns from the trade summit with five stout ships full of Cardinum Silk and Indigo by Bayer5398. You guys, thank you over there at the Unfiltered subreddit, 2,221 of you. That's a great place to go to add content to the show. Make sure we see it. Producer Matt and I are watching that. Also, a shout-out to our buddy Chase. Hopefully, he'll be returning to the show soon. You can ping him at Nunes on Twitter. Let him ask him, when's he coming back? Probably, hopefully, next week. Or, you know, if he's up for it, we might even have a show this Wednesday. I'll coordinate with him. Just check out for the live times, the calendar at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar. Also, while you're over at the broadcasting site, oh, yeah, hit that contact link. What? Yeah, hit that contact link and send an email to the Unfilter Show. We also appreciate that. Unfilter at jupiterbroadcasting.com is the uh, direct email address. And at Jupiter Signal to follow any of the network news like when we are live and things like that. And last but not least, do join us live in the chat room. Thank you, chat room. You guys are excellent for being here on a Monday, keeping me on the straight and narrow with the correct month and the correct show name. Always incredible contributions from our chat room. And thank you to our supporters over at patreon.com slash unfilter for keeping us going. We need you guys more than ever. All right, everybody. Well, thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Unfilter. And we'll see you right back here next week. Next week!